Welcome to Performer Stuff Pro Series, a collaborative forum where working professionals can share together their knowledge, experiences, hopefully a little wisdom, but most importantly, their collective passion for live entertainment. I'm Mark Pawsey, and today I am having a roundtable discussion with leading ladies of musical theatre, Kim Criswell, Sophie Louise Dan, and Jamie D. Ladies, welcome. Hi. Hi. So, Hi. Thank you. Why did you become professional answers? Sophie, let's start with you. Why did I become professional? Yes, why did you become a professional actor? Well, um, it was very clear from when I was about six years old. I had a lot of energy to channel. And um, I mean, I'm sure these days I would have been given a label. <laughs> like ADHD or something, yeah. you know, .com, .com. But I, I, I had a very canny mother, not not pushy, not Mama Rose like, but she had a canny, a canny mother, and um, we we found an outlet for me, and it just made me tick. It just made me tick. Uh, I started off with ten minutes of my sister's singing lesson, and I enjoyed what I did. I then, you know, decided to expand on. Uh, ultimately I suppose becoming what they call now a triple threat. I did a bit of dancing and I had a passion for Shakespeare because my father read me uh, Shakespeare and I got a beautiful bound copy for my ninth birthday and uh, it, yeah it's absolutely gorgeous I still have it now and I think that inspired that that ignited my passion and nothing was going to stop me. I, I, I think, I, I do think um, it might be different now. I don't know, but we'll, I think we'll talk about that later. But for me, as, as a kid, it channeled my energy and it just grew into what I wanted to, to do. Oh, that's lovely. I never knew any of that about you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Kimberly. Yes, darling. And for you, why did you become a professional actor? I don't think I ever had any other choice. Um, I was, I remember my parents both sang, not professionally, but they both sang. And they figured out very young that I had a singing voice, a seriously adultish one. And so, you know, by the time I was five years old, they had me standing on a chair in church singing Ave Maria in Latin into the Methodists. <laughs> I swear, I really did. I thought that was a normal thing for a five-year-old to do. <laughs> I always sang. I mean, even from even from that age, it was very clear that I was a singer. I was going to be a singer, and my parents never tried to talk me out of it. They never, they never thought it was, you know. Uh, certainly, they wanted me to have a backup career like teaching or something, but because um, they they knew the business was not the most forgiving one and the most dependable one. But but they 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 encouraged me. They absolutely did. There was a little mama and papa rose in both of them. And um, I just, you know, my mother would put me in little talent shows and make me little outfits. <laughs> you know? And now she's going to sing the Irish medley. And then there's the American patriotic medley. <laughs> I'd have a little red, white, and blue dress. And, you know, it, I, I, don't th I don't remember choosing it. I remember it, cho it kind of chose me. Right. Fantastic. I love these stories. Janie, how about you? Yeah, well, I really relate to both Sophie and Kim in what they're talking about, in that it starts young. It starts young and it includes God, it includes Shakespeare, it includes your family. And I suppose, if I'm really honest, I am an amateur. I am a true lover of it. And I would do it for nothing. And do. Right now, as we're in lockdown, I'm doing all sorts of things because I simply love it. And um, yeah, it's, it started with dancing for me. I just, I was listening to A Rhapsody in Blue uh, by George Gershwin when I was pro probably about four or five and I was sobbing after I'd put the needle back to the beginning again to hear I couldn't believe what that instrument mm. did. I kept going back to the beginning. And then it went on and it became more and more beautiful. I didn't know what to do. I was sobbing. My mum came in and she said, oh, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know what to do because it's so beautiful. <laughs> and she said, just dance. 
<laughs> and so that's how it began. And I hope that I continue to dance. It's hard. That's the hard thing in lockdown. I hate doing ballet class in lockdown. It's really hard. And I've done it a few times, but I'd rather do yoga. I'm doing yoga. But yeah, it started early. And I couldn't sing um, for Toffee. Uh, and that came thanks to um, my father, who made me become a secretary. When I was about 18, I got really fat. And he said, this is all over. You've made a big mistake. We've all made a big mistake believing that you could do this. You've got to learn to be a secretary. And I did become a secretary. But luckily, it was in Neal Street, which was just like five minutes away from Pineapple Dance Center. So I could go in my lunch hour, not eat lunch and do a ballet class or a jazz class, and then get back to work. But it was during that very important nine months as a secretary that I realized I could not live without it. That being a secretary was a harder thing to do than being a dancer or an actor or a singer, all three, as I hope I am now. It was hard to be in the normal world. I really feel for people have to do that kind of job. I can't bear it. It's really hard to sit on your bottom every day and do nothing apart from type and say yes to the person you're working for. It's really awful. Um, but uh, they have to exist, otherwise we wouldn't have audiences. And what about that? You know, so no theatre now. I just think, again, an amateur will do it. Whether you're professional or not, you just do it because you love it and it's part of you. So that's what I want to do. When I got very fat, I went to Rome and learned to sing. And that was why I became uh, a musical performer because I learned the classical, just like the cat in, the classical way of doing it. And the classical way of doing anything seems to me really the best roots you can have. You know, just classical singing as a, as a basis, classical ballet as a basis, classical acting Shakespeare as a basis is a... I don't know. Can, I, can I just jump in on this? Can I just jump in on this? Because yeah. um, one thing I am doing locally, actually, um, is all, all the, the sort of little dance schools, etc., are hosting their own online competitions. And I, I always bang that same drum. It's like they all want to, you know, belt out a show tune. It's like whatever you do, you have to have a foundation technique. And if mm. when you do ballet... You, when you learn to dance, you do your ballet, and from ballet, you can do your jazz, your Greek, your national, your tap. Same with singing. You've got to have a basic technique, and then you can play. Then you can play. So Sorry. where did you train? <laughs> Pardon? Who? Where did you train? Janie. No, you. Oh, me. I had the most incredible uh, singing teacher uh, from 7 to 17 a wonderful Irish lady called Meliosa Goodale, who trained with Paul Hamburger at Guildhall. And she, she taught me everything, be it Handel, Mozart, a classical training. And then when I went to Arts Ed, that's when I started to sing musical theatre. But before that, I mean, I remember getting up at a performance class and singing um, uh, The Lark in the Clear Air, and they had me into the office and said, we think you're on the wrong course. <laughs> I said, oh, why? They went, we can't sing, you can't sing those songs here. I went, oh, all right. So next week I went in and I belted out memory and they went, oh, oh, no, no, no you can stay. <laughs> <laughs> so silly, isn't it? You get pigeonholed. But um, I, I always, always go back to exactly that, Janie, the, the classic technique, and then you can, you can play around. Do anything. Yeah. yeah. Kimmy, where did you go? You, so you were born in Chattanooga, yeah? Well, I was born in, I was born in Virginia, but I grew up most of my childhood in Chattanooga. Um, I went to um, Cincinnati Conservatory, which was uh, part of the University of Cincinnati and was, the, I think, the very first musical theater degree program in the USA. So they were kind of ahead of everybody else because they were the first one. Um, Leroy Reams went there, you know, Pam Myers went there, people who, who went on to become known on Broadway. Um, and I, I was 
absolutely focused on musical theater. I had no interest in, in uh, doing anything, you know, doing a classical degree. I did audition for the voice department as well. And for some reason I got in, even though I did the most God awful version of rejoice greatly. Oh, daughter of Zion, <laughs> my audition that anybody's ever heard. Well, cause I didn't know the tempo and I, I, gave this earnest. I went in and I went, okay, this is the tempo. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice greatly. Rejoice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they let me in anyway, <laughs> but I picked the musical theater side. That's the side that I wanted. And because um, I, that was my interest. I had in high school, I had a mentor teacher who had been waiting for me. I mean, she was just like, this one is one I can work with. So she took me on and she taught me proper singing. And even before that, I mean, honestly, where I learned to sing was from Julie Andrews. Because when I was, you know, five and starting to sing, she was making, you know, making it big. She was doing the Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. And I sang every note with her. Remember, I, 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 Andrews, what does she sound like? <laughs> she sounds like this. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen <laughs> kittens. <laughs> Brown paper packages tied up with string. These are all my favorite And honestly, we couldn't have had girls. We couldn't have had a better role model, could no, we? So she great. sang in her head voice. Yeah. She sang in her head voice. She, she wasn't a belter girl that is going to just strip your gears because you're trying to copy that. Um, she, so singing along with her was a very good way to stay healthy and use my whole voice. Yeah. And so by the time I got to college, I was, I had learned at about 15 or 16. I had, you know, cause I really wanted to be Julie Andrews, but I looked in the mirror when I was about 16 and went, this is not working out. <laughs> I have to learn to belt, I think. So I did. And, and, you know, by that point, I was working in theme park shows, even when I was in high school. And so they, they would give me a soprano solo, but then I would sometimes sing a, a belt solo. So I learned how to do both. And when I got to college at CCM, they pretty much told me I was going to have to decide one or the other. Right. And I said, no, I'm not going to decide. I'm going to sing both. And honestly, that's why I'm healthy now. Because I have never, ever stopped singing all the octaves that I have which for, for most women, it's about three octaves, give or take of three or four notes. And if you actually sing all of it, then you'll stay healthy. If you, yeah. if you just keep hammering the same three belt notes over and over and over, you're going to do yourself some damage. So long term. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like hitting at something, you know, of the head with a hammer, isn't it? If you do that. Yeah. But you just wear out that the whole instrument, the whole instrument. Yeah. You just wear out bit. You need... Anytime I teach now, and I do teach a fair amount with, with college students who are studying musical theater, um, I make them get into their head voice right away. And I go, you know, you, you want a belt high. If you've got the top thing above it, then your high belt will be really excellent high belt and it'll be healthy. Hmm. So you need the soprano voice to be just as developed. And, you know, it always surprises them. And in three months... Can I have a class? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll give you a Zoom. <laughs> Thank it's you. Really, I'd love to study with you. It's boring and simple. It is. I just make them vocalize up and uh, you know, I make them vocalize. So then, then you find out if you know what their pitch is like. Yeah. Because if they can't do a simple scale up and down yeah. and stay in the pitches, and you find out what their breathing is like, you find out what their what their pitch is like, you find out what the vibrato, the natural vibrato, does, and you know. It, they find it so horribly boring and it's like, oh God, not those scales again. It's like, yeah, these are the building blocks. You need them. Yeah. You need them. So, I mean, I, I teach because I, and I, I had, I, I have tried different levels when I first, my first job in New York was I got on a national tour of Annie, the show Annie. And pretty soon after joining it, all the little girls as parents came to me and said, will you teach them voice lessons? Yeah. Amazing. And I said, sure. Because, but I didn't know what I was going to teach them. But I just said, uh, what I figured out is with 10-year-olds, keep them from screaming. You know, in Annie, they all scream all night. So I made them all sing in their head voice and learn how to warm up in the shower. And that's pretty much all I taught them. But the ones who really listened can still sing. The ones who didn't can't. Yeah, interesting. Great story. J Janie, where did you train? Arts Ed, like Sophie. Um, well, it's Miss Sally, Joan Sally School of Dancing to start with. She was quite a character. She used to say, 
Jane, and I, I'd cringe because my name was Janie. It was always Janie. But she'd call me Jane. And for years, I just didn't say anything. And then when I went to Art Zed, I went back to her to do a class. And she said, let's face it, darling, you're never going to be a ballet dancer, are you? And I said to her, my name's Janie, actually. She said, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a real moment, you know. Brilliant. Right, so you're going to tell me I'm not going to be a ballet dancer. You can at least get my name right. Actually, she was a fantastic uh, beginning teacher. You know, she really was hard. And she didn't take any... Um, anything but your your hardest efforts and you had to work for her and I love that and uh, then Art said well I I come from a, a, a fairly working class family it was never very much money and um, I didn't know how I was going to get from my bunk bed in Dorney Reach up to dancing with Rudolf Nureyev you know I didn't I couldn't find the road between Dorney Reach and the Royal Opera House and one day in the playground, a lady arrived to watch us playing, you know, one of those people who monitor the playground, Mrs. Wright. And she said, um, oh, you're rather a good dancer, I noticed. I'll give you a ballet class next week and we'll see how good you are. And I just went along with it. And then at the end of it, she said, my daughter goes to Art's Ed and I think you should have a go at going there. And then I, it all just ricocheted. I don't know how my parents did it. Well, I do. They just worked really, really hard. Oh, my God. And, uh, and then, you know, Art said until I was 16, and then they said, you have to leave because your parents can't afford it. So I was pushed out. But luckily I had a job, um, but I, I really missed the next bit of training. So when I went to Italy to, dance, to teach, I then went back into training, singing and, and dancing there with the school I was working for. I just used to pop into the other classes. And can, I don't think you ever really stop training, to be honest. You know, I don't think the training stops. You are learning constantly, wherever you are. Performer Stuff was created to meet the needs of folks just like you, performers, educators, and professionals in the entertainment industry. At Performer Stuff, you can search our online store for monologues and music for your next audition or to use in your classroom. On our More Good Stuff blog, you can access hundreds of articles and how-to lists created just for you by industry professionals. There are dance and voice classes and workshops at PS Academy. Plus, you can download podcasts and shows just like this one, featuring performers and entertainment pros from around the world. Basically, it's an online community just for you. So check out the website at performerstuff.com or follow us on social media. If you couldn't be an actor, what would you be, Sophie? Um... It never really occurred to me that I wouldn't be anything but until about two, two or three years ago when I realised, you know, I have loved what I've done and, you know, got some nice, well, wonderful memories to cherish and I love new work. I'm a great ambassador for new work. Um, but I think... Because I've always, that's as I've said before, that's what made me tick. There was never any other thing that I wanted to do. And unlike everybody today, I think, you know, the kids that come into the theatre um, very wisely are either yoga teachers or Pilates teachers or they, they have other sidelines, have never taken another job. I've always earned a living from the theatre or anything linked to it. But I would love to work with wild animals. I think they're extraordinary. <laughs> it would be nothing. Yeah, it would, they are the most incredible um, creatures. And I think we can learn from them. They're, <laughs> their uh, spirit of survival. They're survival of the fittest. All of that, they're quite parallels, parallels, aren't there, to, to our life, really. But uh, who dares wins? Um, but I, I was lucky enough, I was, had a big birthday last year. I was, I was 50. And for my, um, uh, one of my birthday presents, uh, my gorgeous husband, Nick Kolikos, uh, took me for a two-night stay at a wildlife reserve, not in Kenya, not in Africa, uh, in Kent, 
the Port Limp Reserve, which is the Aspinall Foundation's uh, reserve. And it was quite the most breathtaking 48 hours I've ever experienced. I had encounters with uh, spectacled bears. We stayed in what's called Tiger Lodge, which is where you are in the enclosure, in a beautiful cabin, but surrounded by the tigers. And I just learned so much about these incredible creatures. Uh, So, yeah, I would work with animals. Thank you, Sophie. Um, Kim, if you couldn't be an actor, what would you be? Well, uh, I... I, I quite agree with Sophie that I'm fascinated with animals and also, and particularly marine animals. So, I mean, I, I am addicted to snorkeling. I just, I, I'm, I'm never happier than when I'm under the water looking at everything under there. But uh, that is one thing. Um, animals in general, all of them. But I think I'd be a teacher, you know. And I mean, I think in reality, if at this point in my career, after all of this time and what I have learned throughout the years of doing this, I, I suspect if I couldn't act anymore, or well, I mean, can, is there ever a reason you can't act other than you're in a wheelchair or something? But, but um, if I couldn't sing anymore, I think I would uh, teach and I would possibly direct because I already direct. And it's, it's kind of a natural progression once you, we're in the generation that is starting to take over the creative side of things uh, because it, it comes with the experience and the knowing and the really knowing the genre. I mean, musical theater, I couldn't direct a Shakespeare to save my life, but I could direct any musical you put in front of me because I, that is my area. I do, know, I do know more about that than anything else in the world. Kim, do you think the older you get, the more there is to learn and the more you have to teach? I don't know about the more there is to learn. I mean, I think I've been learning quite steadily all the way through. Certainly when I got out of college, I, you know, I, I was trained in some ways, but oh my God, I learned nothing about acting in college. I couldn't act at all when I got out of college. Um, I became an actor from being in the business and, and being on stage with fantastic actors and watching everything they did. That's how I learned to act. And, you know, if I look at things I did in, at, at 21 years old and I look at what I know now, it's, it's not even the same person. So, so the learning goes on always. I can't tell you how much I'm going to learn in the next little while. I have no idea. But um, I do believe that, that the, the learning never stops. And what was the other part of the question? Um, about uh, being educated, whether or not you learn more or you teach more as you get older? Um, I think I teach more, to be honest, because there are things that are just obvious to me that the kids that are coming up now don't know yet. And when I was their age, I didn't know them either. There's so many things that you learn by doing. Um, And learning how to be a good colleague on stage, learning how to be a good company member, learning how to how you should treat your understudy, learning things like that, how, you know, how, how to be not a complete and utter nasty cow. Because if you are, nobody's going to hire you again. So it's a short career. You need to learn the proper behavior for the theater. There is a way that people behave that, that makes it a wonderful social kind of uh, soup. Uh, the social soup of the theater is, for me, the best part. So you, know, you need to know how to play well with others. Love that social soup. Janie, if you couldn't be an actor, what would you be? Well, I like both of those ideas that Sophie and Kim have. In fact, yeah, teaching and animals and all that. I, I, okay, so when Alfie was born, my second child, I had a little kind of moment of thinking, before I go back into the craziness of what we do, which I love and I'm obsessed with and all that, and I need it, but... I thought I'll do something completely opposite. So I trained to be a reflexologist, which is the, Ooh, um, wow. the, the, yeah. the you know, the treatment of feet and hands, yeah. the ends of your bodies. And it was very, very exciting and fun. And uh, I laughed a lot. And I also slept a lot during the training. Like when they give the partner, you have to take over, you get into partners and do each other's feet. So you know, <laughs> when it's your turn to lie down, it's a really wonderful experience to have your feet massaged properly by somebody who knows exactly what they're doing. And so I fell in love with that before I trained to do it. So I love that. And I will do that. I'm starting tomorrow, in fact, some 
some sessions for my friends and family uh, uh-huh. just to get me back into it, just in case, you know, the theatre is on its last legs. But I don't think it is. Like, I'm going to do a little night music over there in the park. I'm just going to do it. I, I mean, if nobody turns up, it's fine. We're going to do it, right? Just do it. Um, uh, the other thing is the London Climate Change Festival, which I started. Um, we couldn't do it because of the, you know, the lockdown. But working for the environment is is a passion. I'm already doing it, and I and I want to continue, and I want it to be part of theatre, really. Um, yeah. One skills as a as an actor, as a singer, as a dancer is to be is to express nature, is to express us the way we are, what we're doing, and also to maybe give a a, a runway connection to what the fuck is going on. Excuse me, I said it, sorry, <laughs> in, our, in our world, because the degrees of heat are climbing. There is no getting away from it. And if we keep using as much heat as we're using by, by the fossil fuels, we will not have a world to sing, dance, and act in. Forget all that. Even to drink a glass of water will be a, an impossibility very, very soon. So that's my passion, and that's what I... I actually am working on it right now, and we're going to do some uh, some little kind of events, um, little events, but uh, to just help that. I mean, the Greenpeace are doing brilliantly, and Extinction Rebellion are fantastic. You, we can all be part of them. Everybody's able to join them. Um, and I think the London Climate Change Festival, when it becomes physical, I'll be ringing you, Sophie, and I'll be ringing you, Kim, to say, come and do a cabaret or something and just get all your people in so that they learn quickly what it's about, why we have to change the way we live. Um, so that's what I, yeah, that's what I'm doing and that's what I, I would be happy to do if theatre were not there. It doesn't matter, wondering. So that sort of ties in nicely with one of the questions that I was going to ask, which was how does theatre stay relevant today? Um, so... Janie, piggyback on what you were saying with the climate. How does yeah. that stay relevant? Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I was thinking about this. In fact, I was talking to Adam Spears at ATG, you know, the, the producer, and I said, and, and Dominic Drongul, who ran the globe, all people I want to talk to about, how do we go back? If we're just going to go back, it's either going to be with Perspex glass or something. Who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that. It's a huge amount of plastic as well, more rubbish to put into the world it's, it's not it's not right and and if we're going to go back we've got to think about um the relevance of why we're going back so it just to keep doing big musicals with loads of lights and loads of sound and you know fuck the carbon excuse me, i said it again you know who cares about the waste we just need to do theater that's not a good argument it's not a good argument because if we if theatre's relevant, it's because it's touching us and inspiring us to change the way we are or to be the way we could be. So, you know, there's a wonderful saying about, do not be afraid of, the, we're not afraid of the darkness, we're afraid of the light within us. And that is huge. That is a fact, I think, that we're scared of changing, of doing the right thing. We must do the right thing. And, and the right thing is, is not uh, necessarily being a goody two-shoes, but, you know, it's about making a difference, which, which is when theatre comes into its own, when it starts to do stuff that's funny and joyous and inspirational, but it's telling you a story that you should have known or you need to know or, or we didn't realise was happening, it's informing you. Um, it, could be, it could be something about a family, you know, it doesn't have to be about the wider issues, but it's about how we behave with each other and how we think out of the box rather than just staying in this tunnel vision, which is so easy. I find it's very easy to be in that place in this lockdown. I think we need theatre for that, but we also need it to be for everybody. And at the moment is is elitist because it is stuck in a theatre where you have to pay quite a lot of money to go and see it. So I think this is a real opportunity to go outside, do it, do it for everyone, for nothing for the time being. Um, and then if it's really good, what we can do, maybe people will be happy to pay for it more than we're going to be asking. So no. I think the issues that I've talked about are really important. They should be, they are a part of theatre. Yeah. Thank you. Kim, how does theatre stay relevant today? Well, I think we're going to have to take on board how the world has changed uh, very recently. 
Um, I think that we're going to have to get into the issue of diversity in a way that isn't the stupid way they've been doing it, which is literally, and okay, here's our cast list. Let's decide that this character, this character, and this character are black. This one is Asian. This one is this. It's random what they're doing now. What they should be doing is telling, you know, choosing people that tell stories from every perspective, from different groups of people's perspective, meaning you know, if it's a, if it's a black story, cast it black. If it's, you know, it use, tell everybody's stories. Don't just tell the white people's stories. Mm. Don't just tell the black people's stories or, you know, we go through phases, you know, there'll be a, we'll, we'll be in a phase where all the plays seem to be gay plays. And then we'll go through one where all the musicals are kid musicals. And you kind of go, how much, how much audience do you think there is? You know, how much money do you think they have to go and see every one of, you know, if you're a gay person and there are 10 gay plays, are you going to see them all or are you going to pick two? Now, if there was a play that was aimed at this, this part of the population, but also one that was aimed at this part of the population, something that, you know, something that's aimed at the, you know, the, the, the Southeast uh, Asians part, you know, that's a huge part of the society here. I don't know anything about that culture, really. Um, I've never seen a play about them. The only thing I know of is, is, you know, well, actually I have seen one, but you know, Bollywood musicals, which I didn't grow up knowing about in America. We just, we have no knowledge of it. I think it needs to be a melting pot in terms of telling everybody's stories and then cast it with the people that belong in those stories. Uh, I don't want to see white people do, um, do Porgy and Bess. That's not our story that belongs to them. So I think, I think, and looking at what else is out there and going, you know, where is the gap that, what, what, what gap do we need to fill in terms of who's being left out of this equation? I think everybody should be included in the equation. I don't know how you do that, but I'd like to see them try that rather than say, let us, let us artificially integrate this thing with people who don't belong in this story because we want to, we want to have diversity. It's not the right answer for me. I don't, I don't buy it. Okay. Sophie, Relevant of theatre, how does theatre stay relevant? Well, I'm going to repeat what Janie and Kim have said. Theatre, communication, is about storytelling. It's about fundamental storytelling, which I think I'm going to repeat as the answer to something you might ask later. I have been involved with a wonderful show, Bend It Like Beckham. There were 27 uh, Asian performers, uh, 25 of which were making their West End debut. And I have, I learned so much. I was completely ignorant about the, the, the different um, cultures and religions within their, their race. And we, I, I just remember this the other day, we had some fantastic times. I mean, just even down to between shows, the, the whole um, social side of that culture and eating with family. So matinee, between shows, you wouldn't go out to, uh, to uh, Gabby's Delhi, sadly no longer there. Um, everyone would bring mama's curry, mama's curry, pakoras, bhajis, and we'd take over the stalls bar and we'd eat and we'd talk and we'd engage. It was the most wonderful nine months uh, in, in the West End. I agree, I think. Diversity is, we, it's, being, it's being bashed over the head. Now, I, in my experience in the last certainly five years, Every theatre has an education programme. Every theatre and, and the large companies, um, the National and the RSC, are doing everything they can to integrate, to change, look outside the box, look at the productions that are ch changing gender, are being cast colourblind. I don't agree with all of it, but I think going forward, we have to just be able to tell those stories in any way we can with the people that are inspired to do it. I mean, that, that's hoping that we have an industry and these wonderful buildings to continue with after, in a post-COVID world. 
I'm, I'm not intelligent enough to answer those questions and how, who's got the plan because the virus hasn't gone away. It hasn't gone away. We're all easing back into a new normal, but I don't, I don't know how our industry is going to recover. I know it will, but we've got to tell the stories, whoever they belong to. End. Yeah. <laughs> and there's always stories to tell. If you have a huge audition coming up and you don't want to search through the same old monologue books, check out performerstuff.com. Our custom search feature lets you narrow down exactly what you're looking for, get a quick preview of the monologue, then print it out. Plus, lots of materials come straight from the playwright, so you won't walk in with the same monologue as everyone else. It's the easiest way to get your audition or classroom monologues. Search, preview, print at performerstuff.com. Inspiration. Where do you get inspiration from, especially at the moment? Kim, let's start with you. Uh, honestly, the thing that has always inspired me, or, or certainly lately, and I'm not getting any of it lately, is, uh, which is why, you know, we're all feeling a bit, what's coming. Um, it's, it's getting around the piano with someone who's quite genius. Okay, and I have a, I'm lucky, I have a couple of people who are just irreplaceable. I mean, Wayne Marshall and Kevin Farrell, these are my two guys. Um, mm. Getting around them and saying, let's figure out what we can do with this song. And then just figuring it out and doing some, and letting their creativity come up with something barking mad mental but wonderful, something I couldn't have come up with. And then they're influenced by what I come up with. That, that exchange of creativity is the thing that, that really floats my boat. Um, it can be a production meeting with John Wilson where he and I are putting together a concert and you know, he doesn't know all the songs that I know and I don't know all the songs that he knows. So we sit and we listen to things and go, oh, that's fantastic. We, let's put that in. And then he'll go off and orchestrate it. I mean, who is luckier than me? <laughs> say, I want to sing the finale of Yentl. And he'll go, okay, I'll orchestrate that. <laughs> and he'll go and cover the orchestration and we'll do it live. So that is what floats my boat is the, the, the creative process of putting things together in a way that makes a statement that is your creative statement um and with people who you consider your equal or your better you know there aren't that many ever in anybody's life there aren't that many that we view that way but when you are in a room with them and you're just working on bouncing ideas around and trying stuff it that is what that is what gives me life thank you janie creativity and inspiration where do you get it yeah uh, other people other people and music oh my god music just Putting the right music on can, like when I was four, you know, it can just um, spin me into a better mood and give me ideas. And it's usually the music that gets a story going in my head mm-hmm. that then makes me want to do whatever that story is becoming. And it's, it's sometimes a cabaret, but it's sometimes a, a concert with lots of people. And sometimes it's a, just a party, you know, uh, bringing a load of people together, wouldn't it be great? You, know, you listen to some jazz and you think, oh God, if I was cooking now like some fabulous thing and I had sensor, sensor, sensor here and a bottle of wine, wouldn't it be great? So then you go, okay, well, not at the moment, but that kind of thing. Yeah, inspiration, it, it comes from the music a lot. Thank you. Sophie? A collaboration. I think that's, that's the key here. Um, also, I love revisiting... Uh, material uh, of of different genres of old genres music hall you know a, a a genre that is dying and and kids are not um party to these days but there are some hilarious comedy numbers that i um i always kind of uh reinvent going back to kim but reinvent or update with with lyrics um i find that tremendous fun um also as i i banged on again earlier uh new work when somebody when a fantastic composer has written something and they want it voiced and you're lucky enough to be the person that they choose that they want to bring their music to life and finding the sweet spot finding what phrase works oh well maybe if we just put that there oh god yeah no that sounds better oh no that's not such a good idea it's collaboration and it's starting from 
from scratch is uh, it's what uh, lights the fire in my belly. We love the fire being lit in your belly. Um, mm-hmm. do you, how do you maintain your instruments um, currently? So uh, do you take singing lessons still or how, how do you maintain Kim? This is embarrassing to admit, but I don't take singing lessons. I haven't taken a singing lesson since college, except for one that I took with Gerald Martin Moore because I was getting ready to go and do Candide at, at, in an opera house in Paris and thought I should probably just make sure I'm not going to embarrass myself. But by and large, I don't take singing lessons because even the singing lessons I had in college, um, they weren't as good for me as my instincts were. I knew I, sometimes I had to fight because uh, they would say, oh, I w-, like I, one of my teachers who was a fabulous teacher, I, you know, I, I love her to pieces. But when she first got a hold of me and she had taught many, many opera people, I was the only musical th- theater person she had gone. But she she wanted me to she decided I was a dramatic soprano. And so she had me trying to sing like <laughs> this sort of back in my throat heavy way. And I did about 10 minutes of that and went, you know what? It hurts and it's a sound I don't even like. So no, I'm not that, I'm a lyric soprano, who belts. <laughs> so um, I have all, my instincts have always taken me to the right place. If there's anything that I do learn from the most, it's listening to singers who get it right. And then just trying to mimic that. Cause that will teach you technique, that will teach you placement, that will teach you breathing. You know, just listening to Streisand sing people, I mean, you think, oh, I know how that goes. And you, then you try to replicate it in a concert because you have the orchestration and you go, oh, my God, look at what, listen to what she's doing there. Listen to the phrasing and listen to the, the placement of that. And, you know, if that is, that's my training, is, is going with the great singers of the world, the Judy Garlands and the, those people. And honestly, most of the, most of the lessons I've had... Uh, my, you know, my high school teacher put me on a good path, uh, and and I certainly they certainly didn't hurt me in college, but I did have to stand my ground a few times and go, no, that's not how I'm going to sing. And honestly, once I said that to her, she was like, okay, we do this now. So, um, you know, and then she'd go, why don't you sing your soprano like you sing your belt? <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> so she, you know, she, she. It, I'm not saying she did what she did in those three years wasn't wasn't worthwhile. It absolutely was. But I have always been able to tell when I'm hurting myself and when I'm doing something that feels wrong and sounds wrong. And so I can usually fix it myself if I just sit and analyze it and go through it and train the muscles to do something different. Okay. Janie, how do you maintain your instrument? Well, I'm, I'm trying to get up at six o'clock in the morning and do yoga. Um, I didn't do that this morning, okay? But I did do it yesterday morning, which is maybe why I didn't do it this morning, because I exhausted myself. But, um, yeah, I I do yoga. That's really the main thing that that I find no problem at all. I will try and do a bit of ballet, because, as I said, it's the classical basis. So, you know, but I, I don't really enjoy it without those beautiful rooms with the big window and the mirror and all that. I love ballet in those rooms, but not much here. I should do it here. It's the perfect place. I've got a huge room. I'm just, I'm, I'm actually, I think I'm depressed because I can't do what I used to do. And it's kind of like facing it that's hard, but I must do it. Um, I do a sing, singing work warm-up most days because when I wash up, I'm quite bored. So I put the singing warm-up on and just because I didn't ever really have that ability, I'm so shocked that I did become a singer that I don't want to lose it. Uh, so that's why I do that. It's sort of fear of losing it, really. Um, and wanting to be ready. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I could hear something else going on. There's some feedback, I think. A little feedback. Oh. Oh, sorry. Is that me? Should I turn it down? Maybe just a little. Yeah. Does that help? Does that, is that a bit better? Keep talking. We'll, um... That maybe has helped. Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I keep myself going. I mean, it's not the same as doing a rehearsal period where you're up at 
seven, you know, you do your yoga, then you go to rehearsal. That's a workout in itself, just getting on the tube and running up the stairs and all that. Then you get there and do a warm up. You know, it's all for you. It's done for you. And I love that. I miss it because I'm much better when I'm working. I'm very, very disciplined and hardworking. But when this has happened, you know, I started off really well, but then I went into a sort of, yeah, it's difficult right now. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing yoga. I'm doing Sophie, we shall see. How about you? Um, uh, I, I interesting. I don't. I don't take singing lessons. I, I'm confident that I have that technique. That I I can adapt. How? Where? What? Mm, where is it going? I, I I love I love the whole physicality of. Hello. <laughs> I love the whole physicality of. Um, finding where to put the the voice um i have some go-to ones that i i kind of think oh can i still do that oh yes lovely um and uh, like janie when i'm working that's what makes you match fit but it's the process of repetition it's the the discipline um it's not that i I don't want to have a regime, but I'm confident that my instrument will do what it needs to do under those circumstances. Uh, interesting, a few years ago, I was I was not made to put up for, it wasn't a choice of mine for a role that um, required some pretty heavy, high coloratura stuff. Not in my wheelhouse, not really. But it never was. I can crack out a fantastic top C to, you know, finish the song, but I'm not happy trickling away out there. And I was offered vocal coaching. I said, I don't, I don't want any vocal coaching. I've been in the industry for 28 years. I'm, I'm not, you know, no, oh, no, 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 just, just, just come and see this woman. She's a genius. By the time I left that room, <laughs> I never wanted to sing again. <laughs> There were no genius there. It was just a science lesson. I sing from here. The connection from here to here to here is what comes out. I don't want to be standing there thinking, oh, Christ, is my larynx in the right place before? Oh, no, sorry, missed it. Nah. So <laughs> I put the kibosh on that and I said, I'll just stick to what I know and love. Thank you. <laughs> Can I add one addendum that I left out that every professional has to know about? Um, it's about how you deal with vocal trouble, which we all get into when we sing eight shows a week because the voice is not meant to do that. Um, I've been through nodules at least two times, maybe three. Um, first time I was 16, you know, singing 10 theme park shows a day, <laughs> thinking I was indestructible. Um, you learn, you have, and I was lucky that I learned at that age that you have to just shut up. There's a discipline to it. You just have to shut up. No speaking, no talking, no whispering, no singing, no nothing, no sounds. And I spent my senior year of high school um, mostly on silence because that's how bad the nodes were. And if I was going to get rid of them, and I did get rid of them. But you know, they, looked, they looked down my throat at 16 and said, you're going to have to pick a different career because uh, those aren't going away. And they said, we could do, we could do surgery. And I went, no, you will not. <laughs> you will not do surgery. Let me try the silence. And so what I learned is we have utter control. Your voice will heal. You just have to shut up and get off it. And honestly, the resting periods between a, you know, a long period of doing like with Madge, like with you, uh, Annie, get your gun. I needed rest time after that because, you know, barking that out, it wasn't even just the songs, it was the talking because all the talking was like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that all counts. That's all the same voice. So um, to keep yourself healthy, uh, there need to be periods of rest. And when you're in trouble, you need to immediately go to silence, get off it. It's just like, a, you know, nodules are just like having a callus on your foot from an ill-fitting shoe. You just have to not wear that shoe until the callus heals. It's a callus. That's all it is, a, a nodule. And, and, you know, don't let them cut. Because <laughs> that is tissue you'll never get back. So you're not going to yeah. get back to what you were before ever. It'll be a new version of that once they've taken tissue away. So 
Yeah. That, that every single person who sings for a living needs to know about how you heal. And, mm. and, and, and you need to trust that you can heal. From most things, you can heal by just shutting up and letting it just go down there and go down to your toes and fur over. It will like make a little cocoon and then you'll have a butterfly at the end and you'll be back to normal. Is, and that's it. It's just silence. Just yeah. silence. Yeah. Great. I remember our touring well, Kim. That you you know your instrument so well that you would often all day we would have it. Well, to sing a big role like that, you have to sometimes you have to reserve all of it, and you spend your day off on silence a lot of the time, d- repairing the damage that you've done that week. Because once you get into the cycle of damage, and then you go back too soon, you never ever get past the damage until you leave the show, and then you have three months of being in very bad shape (laughs) while you repair it or try to repair it. So that's incredibly important for people to realize is that your voice is self-healing. You just have to believe that, that you just, you need to shut up. You just need to shut up and not use it and let it heal. Mm. Great piece of advice. If you need music for an audition or a voice lesson, Performer Stuff's got you covered. PerformerStuff.com offers not only full music sheets, but also 32-bar and 16-bar cuts, pre-selected by our on-staff music directors with an intro and easy-to-read sheet for your accompanist. If you need some help practicing, you can download an audition bundle with the sheet music, a vocal lead, and practice track. Plus, the audio on the track matches the sheet music, so you can walk into your audition knowing exactly what to expect. As always, our search feature makes it easy for you to find what you're looking for. So when you need music, come check us out at performerstuff.com. So let's go back. Maintaining um, a role. So if you have a, a big sing for eight shows a week, so Kim, you've already talked about, you know, going on vocal rest. How do you maintain eight shows a week in the, in the West End on a, on a big role? Janie. Eight, eight shows a week. Okay, so it gets really um, very disciplined. Um, I don't drink until the end of the week. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, try to, I try to drink a lot of water, you know, and eat really good food. Um, keep some silence during the day, not talk too much. And do a really good warm-up before the show. And then I find this wonderful thing happens where everything, like Sophie was saying, it just clicks into place, you know. If, if you've given it some time, the, the whole thing just comes. And that's why you, we end up able to do eight shows a week because there's a sort of um, almost robotic quality to the technique that comes. Not that the spirit is robotic, but the, the, just the muscle memory of how to get to the notes, how to kick the leg, how to react everything becomes so accessible um so eight shows a week it trains you it's the actual form itself of doing eight shows a week that creates the ability to do eight shows a week i don't think many people uh who is it i was working with somebody not long ago oh it was felicity lott and before that josephine barstow you know in in follies and they'd never done eight shows a week and they were they were thrilled because they found it too, that thing that happens where you can just pull it out of the bag each night, even if their voices were suffering a bit, they could still manage it. <clears throat> but it is, it is like being um, a trained circus creature, really. And you get off on it a bit because you just, even when you're absolutely exhausted, you could do something to flip in to that crazy, amazing performer. And that's what scares me about lockdown. It's, I actually love this. I love like Sophie baking and doing the garden and doing a bit of a thing when I'm washing up. But you know, to go back to eight shows a week, yeah, it's a bit scary. I don't know how I'm gonna get back there. Um, and I guess you just have to trust that resting is okay sometimes. You know, but eight shows a week is a wonderful thing. And it's also, I don't know if anybody else felt this during lockdown, but I've been in the garden a lot and it is so wonderful to be outside and with nature. And I just thought, I'm 58 and I have very rarely spent any time since I was, well, 
since I was 14 in the garden and I've missed it. I didn't, mm. I didn't know I'd missed it until we had this. And so, you know, I am wondering whether I will, if there will ever be eight shows a week and if I will ever want to do eight shows a week again. Not, not for the youngsters. I'd love them to have that. But, yeah, I've gone too long. Go on. Go, go on with the next question. Well, Sophie, how do you uh, maintain eight shows a week? It is. It's, it, it's that regime. It's, it's, like being a, it's like being a trained athlete. And it is the muscle memory, all these, all these things that uh, we're, we're repeating because we are ladies of a certain, certain age and experience. That's what it comes with. Um, it's a mindset. It is a, a discipline, all these things. And can I just touch on here? The last significant uh, job I did was um, being involved in inverted commas, a global phenomenon. And I was very disappointed with the attitude of, of, of the young performers coming in. When I think, am I right, ladies, when we were growing up and, and uh, cutting our teeth and things, you, you didn't go sick. You didn't go sick. You didn't know what 28 sick days were. You went on. You cracked mm. on. You, you mm. powered through. You, uh, you had your, your lemon and your ginger and your honey and your, whatever it took. Mm. You did your job. It seems to me it's a little easy today to say, mm, not really feeling well. And, and I, on more than one occasion, took people aside and went, really? Yes, it's hard. Nobody said it was going to be easy. But unless you put yourself through, it, through this and get through the other side, you're never going to know what your limits are. And again, everything that Kim was saying earlier about how you learn from, I learned from older, wonderful um, actresses and actors. I remember standing there as, as a hoofer in 42nd Street, watching Kenny Nelson sing 42nd Street in a spotlight. I was absolutely mesmerized by the command that he had of that space. And I thought, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to stand on a bare stage with a spotlight and everybody's watching me and hanging on every word. And it's, it's an etiquette that I don't think is being passed on. And I would love if, if I was able to go, if I were going back into schools and colleges and, and the people coming up who we are doing this to inspire, just look around and learn from what you are what's around you and the people who have, who have been there and have got the experience because you can learn, you can learn from that. Sorry, I've gone a bit off piste, but it all connects. It's connecting these dots. And the bottom line is if you are contracted to do eight shows a week, that's what you've got to train up for. And you, you will, as a performer, find that that drive to get you through it. And it's the discipline, it's the regime, it's the, it's the company warm-up, you know, where everybody, we're all there, you know, flinging your arms and legs around. Oh, what did you buy in H&M today? Oh, yeah, no, I like that top. It's great. And then the warm, vocal warm-up comes up and you are in a zone. It's getting in the zone. We are, we're athletes. Mm -hmm. Can I just add something to what Sophie just said, which I think is something I forgot to say and sort of like carrying on from there, that... Once you've got that athleticism to do eight shows a week, it's very exciting to have another go tomorrow and another go tomorrow night and another go the next day. Because you're always thinking, oh, I could just do this or I could do that. There's always more. There's always more. And so you get eight times a week to try to improve on it or try, you know, playing with it. Whereas if you're filming, you, once they say cut, that's it. It's done. Oh, it's a really hard one. You know, when you don't have eight, you've got eight, ch eight, eight chances every week. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Nice. Adding, adding on to this, um, I tell my musical theater students, uh, I say, you know, you're training to do eight shows a week. I said, when I was coming up, I said, this generation now, they're not protective of their roles. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll let my understudy go on. I, I want to go to a wedding. I'll let my understudy go on. Oh, my God, when I was coming along in Broadway in the 80s, 
You don't let your understudy go on. Your understudy might be better than you. You don't ever give up your role. You're there if you're alive. This is it. This is this 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 is it. Yeah, you fought this is hard extra- for that role. You're not. I have people up. come. Yeah, it's so extraordinary. I don't shows because for that reason, and I tell the kids, I just say, look, here's the deal. Get prepared for this. Um, eight shows a week. About four of them you'll feel like doing. Then there's two more where you'll go, I'm a little under the weather, but all right. And you kind of get your act together. And then there's two that you, you know, you sit 45 minutes and look in the mirror and go, how the hell am I going to get it up to do this? And you somehow get there because the muscles, the memory, the, all of that, it kicks into place. Dr. Theater does its job. And, Mm. you know, but I just said, do not expect to feel like doing this all eight shows. You won't. Maybe half the time you'll feel like it. And then the other ones, you'll be in different stages of, oh, I got to pull this all up here <laughs> and, get, and get to <laughs> delivering the performance. And sometimes you surprise yourself by one of the days that you consider an off day, you'll come up with something brilliant that something about the freedom of wherever your energy is will let something kind of great through, through that you didn't plan. And you'll be like, oh, that's good. I'm going to remember that. So... <laughs> You know, that is the rule. It's you're never going to feel like doing it eight shows a week, but you need to do it anyway, or else somebody's going to take your role. When when producers are when producers are choosing people, the fact that you do all the shows, if, if you're if you're taking on a great big role and you're supposed to be over the title, they're going to look at whether you are known to turn up all the time or not. They're going to look at that because they don't want people coming to the box office and going, well, I, I paid to see Bernadette Peters. Therefore, she's not here. I'm going to get my money back. They don't ever want that. So, you, I mean, I'm not making her an example. She's, she, you know, she's a tried and true pro of the theater. I think she turns up most of the time. But, you know, people that get known for calling in sick, um, they don't get all the opportunities that they would. It is held against you. And producers should hold it against you more, I think. Thank you. Um, two quick questions to, to finish up. Um, favorite composer, Janie? Musical Gershwin. Oh, Gershwin. Perfect. Gershwin, Gershwin. And of course, Sondheim. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's very obvious. There are others, but those are the first two that jump into my mind. Sophie. Ah. Uh, Cole Porter. Cole Porter, fantastic. Um, wordsmith, really. Um, and uh, again, oh, sorry to bash on. Um, I've worked with some fantastic contemporary composers. Um, Stephen Schwartz, I adore. Mm-hmm. Kim. Modern, uh, hate to say this because he's already got an ego the size of a planet. Maury Eston is really talented. Bill Finn, crazy as a bed bug, but fantastic. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and going back further, um, I don't know, Kurt Weil and Cole Porter. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just old enough now that I'm starting to really get Kurt Weil. It, it's not <laughs> genre. <laughs> Last cast album you listened to, Janie. Into the Woods. Okay. Sophie. On the 20th century. Kim. You're in town. <laughs> Appropriately <laughs> apocalyptic. <laughs> Last question. Best piece of advice? Um, I know, Sophie, you've given quite a lot, but best piece of advice to somebody young coming into the business today? No, everything you said, Sophie, is fabulous. Jamie, let's start with you. Piece of advice. Work hard, persevere, and you will succeed. Plus, make a project. Make your own project. Always have your own project. Okay. Kim? Um, Two things. One is hang in there and be patient because the numbers are overwhelming when you start. In your 20s, it's overwhelming how many people you feel like your competition is. But once you hit 30, it thins out dramatically. If you can just wait it out, um, you you have a it's really about sticking it out. Sticking it out is the hugest thing. It's more important than talent in some ways. The other one is um, directors. Um, about half of the ones you work with won't be able to help you. And that's a, that's a kind estimate. <laughs> I, in my experience, it's been less than that. 
So learn how to save your own behind, do the work, think in great detail, ask questions, but make your own decisions. Don't wait for a director to give you a performance uh, because they won't do it. Most of the time, they don't have time to do it. And, and a lot of them couldn't anyway. A great many of the, the best, supposedly the most successful directors on Broadway, um, I can name one who I won't tell you who it was, but a hand went up in a rehearsal and, and the question was asked, you know, I have a question. And the answer was, if it's about acting, I don't know. That was an honest director. Mm. <laughs> and the fact is, a lot of them don't know. So, if only we, if only we learned these things earlier. It's so good to hear you say it. But that's yeah. why I tell the kids that I go. Do not think that your instincts don't matter because your instincts are what is going to make you any good. And if you really feel strongly, fight your corner, because mm. you know the critics are going to come and see this thing, and they're not going to blame the, the they're not going to blame the director for giving you a bad choice. They're going to blame you. So if, if, if you're doing something on stage that you don't believe in, that you think is a bad choice, then you need to fight your corner and make sure you get to something that you can defend and that you can really play. Because it's, it's going to come all down on your head. Nobody's going to blame the director for your choices. Sophie, best piece of advice? Um, remember what you bring to the table. Um, be comfortable in your own skin. I went to art said I was a curvy bird I always have been and I mean you know it was 90% dance training then now it's an incredible course it's it's totally different um but I was never going to be a showgirl uh, I I had 42 inch hips I just needed to remember what my skill set was and how that's best placed work hard uh, it's not going to land in your lap and if it does it might not last but also I was given some very sage advice when I was a young performer and actually I think it was on where we worked together my darling at the Piccadilly Tudor Davis cast me as principal girl in a terrible blonde wig Princess Apricot Crumble I remember in, um, in Jack and the Beanstalk opposite our Silla, Silla Black and um, he said <laughs> darling he said, darling, this is, you're absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous princess. You're, this is lovely and enjoy this. He said, but you know what, Sophie Louise, Dan? I said, no. He said, you will grow into your casting. And by God, was he right. Hang on in there. I was 22 and 51 and, and my body of work is something I am very uh, proud horrible word but it's my achievement in this industry thank you tudor yeah what a lovely what a lovely story <laughs> thank you so ladies kim sophie louise and Janie, thank you so much for sharing a small part of yourselves within our performer staff pro series and for helping to keep entertainment alive nourished and full of hope and for those watching this please dream big and while you're dreaming look out for more performer stuff pro series coming your way real soon thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you